from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Perspective is a radio program presenting biographical interviews of people who have chosen the Baha'i faith as a way of life. Today, I'm playing a telephone interview with Tom Stevens. Tom has a mission. His mission is to let the world know about generating power by water. The process is called electrolyzing. An electrolyzer takes water and by way of a low power source and pulsing that power source, you create a hydrogen-oxygen gas mixture that has a reasonable flashpoint in which to ignite to produce power. The interesting phenomenon is that if you pulsate the power source at the same natural frequency of water, you can maximize the quantity of this electrolyzed gas. Tom's first effort is to fit up an old Oldsmobile with an electrolyzer to demonstrate the feasibility of powering a car with water. Very interesting stuff. I start the interview by asking Tom where he grew up, and what was it like growing up there? 120 miles northwest of Toronto. It was a small town, 12,000 people, and it grew to about 20,000 while I was there. Of course, that was in the uh, 40s and 50s. I left when I was 20 and went to college. And somebody there said, you know, you're interested in all sorts of faiths and, and thought processes, and you're very interested in philosophy. And you should go and, and attend a um, Baha'i fireside. I said, what's that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the fellow who gave the uh, fireside was a religious editor of the local paper in Kitchener, Ontario. And he uh, he gave a very good fireside, and it was very uh, conducive on lots of people. There were about 15, 20 people there. And uh, there was some good discussion afterwards and and, uh, friendship and so on. He quoted Abba Baha's speech, Be a Baha'i. Well, about a month later, after uh, I had gotten back home again, suddenly uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and and with these words ringing in my ear. So I hitchhiked 100 miles back down to Kitchener from Moon Sound and uh, signed my card. And it turned out that the person whose house it was was Michael and Elizabeth Rochester, who later pioneered to Newfoundland, where uh, they had great success in raising up a community there. Let's back up a little bit. So you mentioned a fireside. What is a fireside? That is a a meeting, and at that meeting, there's uh, always a speaker who has a topic to talk about on a spiritual na- of a spiritual nature and. Uh, mentioning all of the uh, new things that the Baha'i faith represents, which is the unity of all religions and the equality of men and women and the fact that mankind is one and there is one God for all religions. And uh, they just may call them different names, but that's what this is all about. It's the renewal of God's faith, and we have a book of laws this time, not just ten of them, which gives us the new pattern of civilization for the 
most great peace, which will come about. Anyway. Okay, um, and you also mentioned Abdu'l-Bahá. Yes, he was the son of the founder, Baha'u'llah, who is what's called a manifestation of God. Now, the manifestations, the ones that most people recognize are Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, and Krishna. And of course, if you take the population that ascribes to the different religions, you've got 20% Christian, 20% Muslim, 20% Hindu, and 20% Buddhist, and the rest are there's 6% Jewish and, of course, half a percent Baha'i. But this is growing by leaps and bounds. As a matter of fact, when we came back from Kingston and moved into Brampton, Ontario, to form the assembly there, eventually that assembly was asked by the Interfaith Council to lead and organize the Interfaith Council in that city. This is one of the things that Baha'is do, is they work on the service projects to make sure that all of the religions know that the other ones are valid and that the eternal truths are the same for every religion. It's just the social uh, teachings that are different. And, of course, the word Baha'u'llah means the glory of God, and he is the renewal of religion, and his son, Abdu'l-Bahá, is the interpreter of his writings, which are quite a few. It took me 32 years to read all of Baha'u'llah's writings because they're quite deep, and then I was told that only 10% have been translated into English. <laughs> it was a, a, a bit of a humbling experience. <laughs> you also mentioned the term assembly. What, what's that? What we try to do is raise up a local group of nine people which become the assembly to guide the rest of the Baha'is in that community and also advise the rest of the community on what God wants us to do for, the, for this age so that we can have the most great peace. One of the other things most recently that Baha'is are doing is, and by the way, Baha'i means follower of the light of God. The most recent thing that we've uh, started is junior youth groups, which is ages... Uh, 12 to 14, and those three years are super critical for the youth to be able to realize their uh, moral and ethical uh, standards so that they can carry through with for the rest of their lives a very good outlook on life and a standard that they can keep going. Now, they what they do is they also do service projects around the community and help as many people as possible, using the arts mostly, and uh, having a good time doing it. We've uh, had one group came through this part in our cluster, which is a group of Baha'is in a particular area. In this case, it's three different counties of Connecticut, and they inspired us, and it's been fun. It's really an energizing experience to take part in this because the spirit is there, the friendship is there, the love is there. And, oh yes, the other term that I used there was counselor. Mm -hmm. And there's two groups in the administrative order of Baha'u'llah, and that is the, the guardians of the faith who are appointed and the uh, administrative order of the national assemblies and the local assemblies. And these two bodies constitute the twin pillars that we 
rely on for guidance from what's called the Universal House of Justice in Haifa, Palestine, now Israel. The one feature of, of the group of buildings in Haifa is very unique. There's a set of steps going from sea level up to the top of Mount Carmel, which is one of the holy mountains mentioned in the Bible, and it has about 1,200 steps on it with 19 terraces. In the middle, there is a shrine, and the, around the shrine is the group of buildings that form the uh, administrative order and where the Universal House of Justice is seated. So in 1988, I took a pilgrimage over there. So uh, this faith is amazing. We're in year 168. At that point, the Christians were still in the caves under Rome. And we have built a whole administrative order worldwide in that period of time with its center in Haifa, Israel. It's really something to see. If uh, the person can go on the net and, and see it, I think it's Baha'i.org, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And they can get all sorts of information there about it. And that's what we do when we talk to people. We don't ask them to become Baha'is, we just ask them to investigate and what God wants us to hear for this day. And we direct them to that website. It's very interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's my history. Mm -hmm. uh, the energy system, I, was, I, I can get on that right now. When I first came down here 10 years ago, the price of gas was $1.44. And that made the trips back and forth very easy. However, when we moved into this house in 2007, the price of furnace oil had gone up severely so that I phoned around and found a person to give me a quote on solar panels. And they gave me a price of $11 per watt installed. They wanted to install 8 kilowatts for $88,000. Now, I did some more research and found that the sun only shines four hours a day on average. That means that I'd have to have a super storage facility of either batteries or something. And uh, one <laughs> fellow who you probably know, Peter Godin, up in... Uh, Ellington. Ellington, yes. He says, well, why don't you just use the solar cells to, to power pumps to raise the water into a water tank and then let it fall for the other 16 hours a day? 20 hours a day and uh, provide power constantly that way. It works. There are some people who've done that. But the other thing that I was rather surprised at was that even if you use wind and you have to have a tower in Connecticut because the wind's not very strong, stronger out west, of course, uh, the wind only blows an average of four hours a day. So, again, you have to have a storage set up. The same thing happens out west. Even in Death Valley, where the, the sun just about shines all the time, they've still only got an average of six hours a day. Therefore, they feed the, this into the grid in lumps when the sun shines. The same thing in Ontario, we've got windmills galore, just like they have in uh, New York State and, and uh, some of the western states. As a matter of fact, my friend that I grew up with came from Owen Sound, too, He's living in Wichita, Kansas. He says, it's unusual, and when the wind doesn't blow out there, he says, everybody turns to the, their neighbor and says, 
what's happening? <laughs> it's silent. <laughs> but the fact that we've got four inches of rain average per month falling in the eastern half of the country gives us a source of energy which is unbelievable. What most people don't realize is that you can split water into its two gases, hydrogen and oxygen, which they now call hydroxy gas. It works in any engine similarly to propane or natural gas, except for a couple of things. One, it has a faster flash time. In other words, it will catch fire at about 10 times faster than either gasoline or diesel when it's when a spark is introduced. Another thing that happens is that if you have a very efficient, and some of them are quite efficient, I found out that there's three different types of electrolyzers to break water apart, and the most efficient one is a tube inside a tube, and having 10 tubes inside a 6-inch high-pressure plastic tube is the way to go. You power the inside tubes with the negative and the outside tubes with the positive, and it produces a lot of gas if you've got what's called a power wave modulator. And this PWM can be set to any frequency and any strength, but it will run off the 12 volts of a car battery. And it produces about twice the amount of hydroxy gas as a regular current on a wound wire with no pulsing. Now this pulse DC, in, and you pulse both the cathode and the anode, if you pulse it at the frequency of water, which happens to be about 41 kilohertz, that will give you the maximum amount of hydroxy gas. For some reason, it produces twice as much. And there's a fellow out in Ohio who's a young university student who's writing his PhD on this, and uh, some of them have likened it to cold fusion. There's a third reaction that takes place, and nobody knows what it is or how it works, but uh, this one young chap thinks he's got it figured out. The point is that in that 1,800 liters of gas from one gallon of water, you get twice the power of a gallon of gasoline or diesel. So that the old cars that get 15 miles to the gallon now get 30 miles to the gallon on electrolyzed water. Now, how to collect the water? The rain is pure, except that it's got some dirt in it, especially when it falls on a roof. So you have to collect that with the regular gutters and downspouts and, and rain barrels and, and a, a sump pump in the rain barrel to a filter and then to a 1,000-gallon tank. My house and garage have a total of 3,000 square feet of roof. With that four inches of rain <clears throat> per month, I've got something like 12,000 gallons of water per year. To run a, a regular V8 engine, the old 350 cubic inch engines, you only need half the number of gallons that you would normally put in gasoline in the car. So a roof 
of a single car garage would be enough in the eastern half of this country to power a car for a year. The amount of rain that falls in a year is enough on a single car garage. With the amount of roof I've got here, I could power my standby generator, my two cars, and ten other families with the same standby generator and two cars. In Massachusetts, you've got a, a similar situation to what we've got here, and that is you've got a rebate for electricity produced from green energy, which gives the person back almost twice the number of cents per kilowatt hour as we are charged for generation on our bills in both these states. Now, the problem is that we have CLMP down here. I don't know what you've got up there, but we have a problem with the regulators, and that is that they won't allow a rebate of any more than $3,000 a year for electricity produced from what I call micro-generators, which is what a generator in next to a house would do. With my panel, I've got a 100-amp panel, I can send back 19.4 kilowatts every hour of the day and night running my generator 24-7. If I did that, the rebate should be 30000 not 3000 In other words, they cut you off at that point. Remember, let's go back a step and remember that a gallon of water equals two gallons of gasoline. Do you know how much water it takes to mine and process that gallon of gasoline? 100 gallons of fresh water laced with chemicals and a radioactive tracer. Same thing for natural gas. With biofuels, it's even worse. The best crop that they can produce and get to the pump to give you a gallon of ethanol takes 400 to 2,000 gallons of water. Now, what's the cost? It, it is rather steep. It's the price of a, uh, an automobile, but it pays for itself in as little as one year with the full rebate, three years with that $3,000 rebate, and seven years with no rebate. So even those states which have not started giving rebates for electricity produced, the people will still be able to recoup the money faster than solar. As a matter of fact, I did some numbers on some. I, by the way, I did a, get another quote on solar, and it has come down from $11 a watt installed to $5 a watt installed. My system is less than $1 a watt. Even the most economical way to start making electricity is by hydroelectric, which is on dams and rivers and so on. That's $1.54 a watt. Everything else falls in between that and solar, including the generation of power by natural gas, coal, or nuclear. Nuclear is the most expensive, by the way, of those three. Tom, what, again, is the cost for hydroxygas? gas? Um, the, the actual electrolyzer costs roughly uh, $1,200. No, but you were, meant, you were quoting like so much per watt. Oh, yes. That's to install it. Now, 
as far as maintenance is concerned, it's only two cents per watt hour okay. for the maintenance on your generator. And by the way, if you have a heat pump in this neighborhood, you're going to be able to uh, produce your own heat at half the price. When you have your own generator with no fuel cost, then you <laughs> virtually got free heat right. as well, so that you can heat the house, you can provide the electricity, you can put an electrolyzer in each of the cars, and the whole thing is, is uh, very economical. So, Tom, I have a couple of questions. I'm, I'm having a little difficulty grasping the technology here. So you've, you mentioned an electrolyzer which separates the hydrogen from the oxygen. Is that correct? It, it, it separates the water into hydrogen and oxygen gases, right. which in this case, in this particular instance, these gases are not kept apart. They are mixed together and immediately, within three feet, put right into the engine. Okay, so now my question is, how come it doesn't form back into a li liquid again? I don't know. Number one, it's the, it's the uh, pressure and the um, speed of the gas in that gaseous form uh, that close to an engine seems to stay apart for that period of time. It's only a matter of a few seconds before all of the gas is into the engine and consumed and burned. Now, this is another thing. Most engineers can't get past this idea of the gases reforming back into water, and they can't get past the idea that hydrogen and oxygen do burn in an engine. It's rocket fuel. It's also two other applications. As a matter of fact, jewelers have been using this as a jeweler's torch, hydrogen and oxygen, for years. And in most cases, what they've been doing is just uh, using a, a standard electrolyzer with no pulsing on it and getting the two gases together and putting them in a torch. Now, when you do that, the flame that comes out, you can put your hand through it, and it's only 200 degrees. But as soon as it hits something, it changes to 2,000 degrees. Don't ask me why. It's something that the engineers still haven't figured out. Okay, let's put this thing in an automobile. So you basically have a tank full of water? Yep. And you have an electrolyzer in the automobile? Yep. And then the electrolyzer separates and recombines the hydrogen and oxygen. The hydrogen and oxygen are in a gaseous form when okay. it the engine. All right, okay. And then it, it gets pumped quickly into the cylinder, into the cylinder, and, yep. and you, the flash point of that cylinder will cause the, the piston to move because you've got this amazing flash capability of this. Oh, that's another thing. Because the flash point is uh, faster than gasoline, you have to retard the timing on the engine. Mm -hmm. And um, with the new engines, with their computers, there is a secondary computer that you put in there on the one on the engines with computers on the new cars. On the old cars, it's just a matter of changing the timing on the distributor. Have you prototyped any kind of mechanical machine with this uh, concept? I have the... Uh, the 81 Oldsmobile, which I'm going to put it on, I have one of the electrolyzers now, and I'm just about to do that. Mm -hmm. But the, what I got excited about was all of the uh, YouTube illustrations of this, including a pulse jet engine. The reason I pursued this in the beginning was that a friend of mine about 15 years ago told me about how they used cryogenic hydrogen 
in a jumbo jet. And this was done by Mercedes-Benz over in Germany on an MD-1011 McDonnell Douglas uh, jumbo jet. Uh, so I know that the hydrogen-oxygen combination will work in a jet engine as well, so that we have a, uh, a fuel that can be used in place of all of the polluting fossil fuels that we use today. Mm -hmm. So how much would an electrolyzer cost in, a, in an automobile? I figure that the uh, dealers that are set up that I'm going to do, the dealers will be able to install one for $3,900. Now the conversion to either propane or natural gas on a regular gasoline engine is about the same. And you don't have to change the structure of the engine block because of the higher flash point? No. This is one of the things, again, this is another thing that they tried in Ontario was straight hydrogen. Now don't forget that nitrous oxide has been tried in the race cars with great success. And hydrogen by itself has been tried in the cars and they were tested by the universities in Ontario. And they found out that hydrogen by itself, you had to use either 75 to 100% hydrogen or you had to use 0 to 25% hydrogen or the hydrogen molecules in that middle range would combine with the metals in the engine and explode. So this is one of the reasons that you use hydrogen oxygen and it doesn't explode. There's a whole science behind this and if you're very careful you can have a car that's very safe and is powered for free. Now when you say if you're very careful what do you have to do to be careful? Like in the installation this is why the dealers are going to charge so much for this because the electrolyzer itself is only $1200 but the installation is close to the 4000 mark. The reason for that is that these mechanics have to be trained the same way as the mechanics who install propane and, and natural gas so that the, there's no leaks from the electrolyzer to the engine. And another thing that's used is what's called a flash arrester. And if these, this isn't put in, then you have the possibility of a flashback from the engine into the electrolyzer and, and there's a, a rather large explosion. Mm -hmm. So that this explosive mixture has to be carried carefully installed so that there's no accidents. The um, same thing applies to the standby generators. Standby generator is a gasoline or a diesel engine. Same thing. Oh, by the way, there's at least 250,000 engines across the world being operated on a form of this fuel. And a lot of them are transport trucks. So it sounds like this technology is already being deployed Backyard mechanics, back, uh, all sorts of tinkerers, and so on. By the way, the technology was developed by Tesla back at the turn of the last century. And the two people who have pioneered this stuff is, you can look this up on the web too, is Stan Meyer. How do you spell Meyer? M-E-Y-E-R. Mm -hmm. And uh, he put it on a dune buggy and had great success with it. Tell me about your work with the, ultimate, with, the, with the car dealers. My goal is to set up a dealership. Oh, uh, your own dealership. Which, yes, not a car dealership. A dealership network, mm -hmm. which will be, it will take me 20 years to do this, but 90,000 dealers worldwide 
installing two houses with standby generators and four cars per week for the next 70 years will provide roughly 10% of the world's energy at that point. And it'll take me about 20 years to set up that network. But once we do, those dealers will be responsible for servicing all of the equipment that they put into the houses and cars. So it'll be an ongoing thing. Now, do you have a final electrolyzer product? Yes, I've got one in the garage. I, I, within the next two months, I'll be installing it in my 81 Oldsmobile. Mm. And uh, I'll drive up and see you. Show you. <laughs> so then what would be the next step after you do the, do that prototype? Um Next step after that is to get the grant from the Connecticut government. They have a $10,000 grant are waiting for me as soon as I show them that it works and that it's power standby generators. And once that happens, then uh, I go to SCORE and I show them my business plan and get their help in uh, implementing the dealership uh, network. Then um, the third step is getting the next grant from CCEF uh, in here in Connecticut. And that is a $50,000 grant to start a new business which hires people. And then uh, once that's underway, uh, and I'm manufacturing these things, because there's only two places that I can get the product. One is a completely assembled one from Australia, and the other one is parts from a guy over in California. So there's nobody in this neck of the woods that is making these things. And I have to bite the bullet and hire people and train them in order to get these things made and into production and into cars and standby generators, etc. Now, I don't understand, Tom. If you can get one completely fabricated from Australia, why do you have to manufacture it? Mainly because he's charging about, um, oh, I'd say, a good... 25% markup, mm -hmm. and they can be made locally. Actually, they can be made almost anywhere. The circuitry and layout for these things is on the net for anybody that wants to investigate and do it himself. The stainless steel is 316L that you have to use so that it doesn't dissolve. And the circuitry for the uh, power wave modulary modulator is... Uh, it's all there on the net, too. Actually, there's three different types, and uh, I'm going to go with the simpler of the three. There's a whole bunch of steps that have to be done, but they can be done. One out of five people have never flipped a light switch. That's the area of the world that has no health care and very subsistent-level farming. It has no manufacturing. These people need our help to be able to make a united world. And that's where my efforts are, are taking me. One thing worries me, and this is that we can't have a unified world unless everybody has the Internet. To have the Internet, you've got to have power. To have power, you have to have a generator. To have a generator, you've got to have a fuel. What better is there than water? Oh, by the way, the western half of the country who has to rely at the moment for uh, green energy on solar and wind, can provide it with electrolyzed water, 
from recycled water. The gray water in the house is equal to the rain that falls in the eastern half of the country. But the gray water coming from your showers and your sinks and your laundry has to be not just filtered, but it also has to be distilled. The reason being is that there's a lot of chemicals in the water and there's a lot of minerals. These cannot be used in the engines. It has to be a pure form of water because there's no electrolyte, electrolyte in this system because of the pulsed uh, DC current. In most electrolyzers, you've got a straight DC current, and you have to have potassium sulfate or something like that as an electrolytic. So the science is there. It's just that it has to be put to work. So it's kind of early in the development to start advertising and marketing this? Oh, yes. That's one of the things I'm going to use SCORE for is how to market this. Mm -hmm. I have some ideas. I have some plans. And I'm going to have to drive it by them in order to be able to bring this thing to fruition. Mm-hmm. The first step, of course, is the grant from CCEF. And then uh, with that grant, we should be able to proceed. What's CCEF? Connecticut Clean Energy Fund. I think it's got a new name, acronym mm-hmm. now, but it's run out of Rocky Hill, Connecticut. And what time frame are you looking at to having your prototype Oldsmobile ready? Probably before Christmas. I'm hoping that I'll be able to uh, buy the parts that I need. There's a few other parts that I have to have, like the uh, the, fil- the rain filter and a couple of barrels and, the, and so on, mm-hmm. and uh, flash arresters, and then I'll be able to put the whole thing together. Um, do you have a website that describes what you're doing? Not yet. I'll be able to get somebody to do it, I'm yeah, sure, but yeah. uh, it's not ready yet. What I'm going to do is I'm going to record the installation on the Oldsmobile and then put that on the website. But the thing that bothers me is we are using far too much water to get oil and gas and coal and nuclear to give us energy. Even the biofuels are uh, wasting water to get that we can be using for energy. In other words, there's so much water on this planet that we could be uh, using and reusing, if you wish. One wag said that the water you drink in New York City has been recycled 17 times. Well, there you go. This water is going to be burned, yes, but not enough. Even if you had all of the vehicles and all of the energy production in the world run on water, we would not run out for at least a million years. So in other words, the amount of water we're using for fuel today should not be a concern about using water directly for fuel. No, no. We would use about, oh, I'd say, one five-hundredth of the water that's being used to produce energy today if we switch to electrolyzing water for power. Think about this. We've got local spiritual assemblies of the Baha'is all over the world, including those places where they don't flip light switches, including those places where they are suffering. They cannot keep in touch with 
the Universal House of Justice in Haifa, Israel, without proper electronics and energy. This is, a, is my highest priority, is to be able to get these machines into the hands of those people so that they can be energized to help spread this new message of Baha'u'llah. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Okay, keep in touch. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tom Stevens, a Baha'i residing in Connecticut who has made it his work to let the world know about the feasibility of water being a legitimate power source. His first effort is to prototype a car that runs on water. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
of the world on my shoulder As I'm getting older, y'all people get older Most of us only care about money making Selfishness got us following the wrong direction Wrong information always shown by the media Negative images is the main criteria Infecting the young minds faster than bacteria Kids wanna act like what they see in the cinema yeah. Whatever happened to the values of humanity Whatever happened to the fairness and equality Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity Lack of understanding leading us away from unity That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling under That's the reason why sometimes I'm feeling down It's no wonder why sometimes I'm feeling under Gotta keep my faith alive till love is found Ask yourself Where is the love? Where is the love? Where is the love? All we got one word, one word. And something's wrong with it. Yeah. Something's wrong with it. Yeah. Something's wrong with the good world, world. Yeah, we only got one word, one word. And so we got one word, one word. Oh Lord, make us as waves. Of the sea and as the flowers that grow United and agree Through thy love, through thy love, oh Through thy love, through thy love, oh, oh. Bind together all the hearts and join in accord also All of mankind As the stars That shine from the same sky And as the perfect fruits That are growing high Through thy love Through thy love Oh Through thy love Through thy love Oh, oh. Let us bind together All the hearts And join in a
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.